The first thing to do is to love yourself. I think that's just vitally important. So many people when they're dealing with the loss will either eat everything in sight and gain a lot of weight and be very upset with themselves or they'll stop eating and lose a lot of weight and get really unhealthy and not have any energy to do anything. All those things are self-destructive and it, it's really common for people who are grieving to find self-destructive things to do. So it's very, very important to recognize if you start to go down that path and say, wait, that's not serving me. I need to serve myself because I'm basically all I have. I'm the one responsible for that. And if I can show me my self-love by taking good care of myself, then you can gradually move forward to whatever else you need to deal with. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Emily Thoreau Threat and dive deep into hats number one and three, the soul and the seeker as we uncover how to find joy in the face of profound loss and grief. Despite the deaths of Emily's two husbands, as well as the deaths of her father, mother, sister, and many family members and friends, Emily has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy, and now helps others who are experiencing grief and loss find strategies to embrace the process of learning how to start living again. Emily is a writer, published author, lecturer, entrepreneur, and most importantly, a genuinely loving and caring soul. Let's welcome Emily to the Seven Hats so she can take us on the journey of discovering how we can deal with loss and experience happiness at the same time. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Seven Hats. Aloha. Thanks for having me here. Aloha from Maui. Mm -hmm. So I was introduced to you and your work through your book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Jack Canfield said it was one of the most profoundly helpful books he's ever read on the subject of grief and loss. Most of my listeners, the Seven Hatters, are entrepreneurs. And I think this topic is really pertinent to a lot of us in the sense that we so often face heartbreak and heartbreaking failure and loss on our journeys to build a company. If you would, please tell us who Emily is. And what is the backstory that shaped your experience and knowledge around loving and living your way through grief? Wow, that backstory is pretty big. <laughs> I consider the work that I'm doing now, all the work that, that with grief and, and helping people deal with grief, it's my purpose in life. After I've had two husbands die, and after my second husband to die died, I was thinking, okay, now what do I do? I really wanted to have, uh, my purpose had been 
taking care of him for a few years before he died. And it was, it was wonderful. He was, he was healthy enough. It wasn't like I was doing heavy physical care, but we were together all the time because we never knew when emergencies were going to come up and it was pretty wonderful. So I looked for something that could bring me joy and hopefully help other people be happy too. And that's kind of how I got to where I am with doing the grief work that I do now. I've dealt with tons of grief or tons of loss uh, or death through my life with uh, that every different kind of death you could imagine. It started when I was 13 years old and my dad traded our home for an ambulance company. My mom and dad and I had to move into this little house on the company property and we didn't have dispatchers back in those days. We had the 24-7. We were answering calls and you only had to be 14 and have an advanced first aid card to go on calls. So my 14th birthday, I went on my first call and it was a major head-on accident uh, with two families and multiple fatalities. And so I woke up real soon in my life to the fragility of life and the importance of paying attention to it and making the most of my moments on on the way through my life. So you're 14 years old, you experienced your first, I'm not sure if it's loss or grief, but you're you're seeing grief, you're seeing loss with your dad and, and the ambulance company. What happened after? So you get married, I believe the first marriage ended up in divorce. Mm-hmm. That's right. So that's that's a loss. That's a first a, loss, even a though- A big loss. Well, I was just going to say that in, when I grew up, when you get married, you stay married forever. And so that, that loss was huge for me to have, uh, have that happen because I didn't anticipate it at all. So, and then my, my next marriage was, was wonderful. My next marriage lasted 27, or not 27, 22 years. Wonderful man. We did tons of things together, had a, had a great life together. And he was pretty sick for the last two years of his life. He actually started having heart problems on our fifth wedding anniversary. So, it was wow. that for the rest of his life, we were dealing with, with health challenges. When he was, I had created a live theater, school of arts, cafe, catering company, art gallery, which was a really big uh, entrepreneurship for me that I loved. I'd, I'd been a theater major in, in college to start off with before I started. I got my master's in writing and then taught writing from then on. But I had stepped away from my writing teaching to do this theater thing. And my husband loved it. He hadn't done any theater since he was in college. And he was thrilled to get back involved and a beautiful singing voice. And it was great. When it got to the point where I was needing to be with him all the time, like I was I was doing payroll on my computer, my, on my laptop sitting next to his hospital bedside. And it was getting really, really difficult. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do justice to that big business if I couldn't actually be there. Fortunately, I, there was a nonprofit foundation that we had set up at the same time we created the, the theater that would provide scholarships for kids to, to come to any classes that they wanted to. And it was a it was a thriving foundation, and I so I went to the foundation and I said, if I give this to you, will you accept it and keep it going? And they said yes. So I lost all that that I'd created that I was very passionate about, but I did it in order to take care of my husband 
who I loved and was very passionate about and was grateful for that opportunity with him. And then after he died, I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm not real sure where to, to go now. And the university contacted me and said, we realize you're not working at the theater anymore, so could you please come back and teach? <laughs> so I got to do that, and I was very grateful for that because I do love teaching writing. And then I never thought I would, I wasn't interested in dating or getting married or anything. I thought I, I've done that. I'm good with that. But then I met Ron and we uh, fell in love and, and we were together for 10 years. And the last couple of years of his life, actually, we, we bought a home in Ventura that was a, a mile from the beach. I could walk to the beach from my house. I thought it was our forever home. I loved the place. We fixed it up really well. And when he started realizing that he didn't have a lot of time left, he had lived in Maui uh, long before I knew him. And he, he always wanted to, to go back. And we did come back on, or I came for the first time on our honeymoon. And then we came back a couple times a year after that because we both loved it here. So when he realized that he was winding down, he said he really wanted to be in Maui. So we sold that home left all the the friends and community that we've established there to move uh, here to Maui for the last two years of his his life. I'm glad we did, but that again was another big kind of loss. In addition, so it's not just losing the husbands; it's losing the business, it's losing the home. I have a, a wonderful home now. I have a wonderful ohana, the the Hawaiian word for family. With all the people that I've met here, it's just a wonderful place to live. I don't, I don't think I would, I can't say never, but I don't have any plans of moving back to the mainland because I really love it here. I love the spirit of aloha and the way the island is. Maui's one of my favorite places in the entire world, and I don't blame you. I would be living there forever as well. So let's dig a little bit deeper in your experiences. So one of the reasons that I have been looking forward to this conversation so much is because in the past, I felt profound grief when my first company failed about 10 years ago. But more recently, I lost my close friend, Albert, to suicide. He was an incredible, optimistic, continuously working out and promoting supplements and just high on life. And that's, he's the guy that everybody went to for support. And one day in 2020, because of the pandemic, something snapped inside. He was such a kind guy that he even went to his office, he got a gun, he put a tarp down, put a gun to his head and ended his life. And it has jolted me and left me with a lot of questions. So in the West, it seems like death and grief and loss are almost a taboo subject because every time I want to speak about him, it's almost like, don't say anything. It's just too much for people to bear. Is it like that everywhere? Why do you think this is the case if so? I think it's that way. A lot of places. And it's mostly, I think, because people aren't dealing with their own mortality. And so they, they don't want to be reminded that someday they won't be here either, or somebody they love won't be here either. Especially when you have a case uh, that you you were dealing with, with Albert, that's that his name? Albert. Correct, Albert, yeah. Yeah, Albert, uh, who seems so vital and, and such a, a wonderful person to just, he's there one moment and he's not the next. And it's, it's such a shock. And so frequently, people don't know what to say about suicide in, in particular, because 
it's one thing when somebody's been sick for a long time and you kind of anticipate them dying, or even if they die in an accident, it's it's tragic, but it's kind of acceptable because you say it's an accident. But in, in his case, it, it wasn't an accident. It was uh, something that he chose to do. But what we do know is that we don't know what snapped with him. We don't know what was going on in his head that made it to the point that that was what he felt was the best choice for him at that moment. And he obviously was sharing care towards his friends by by preparing the way he did. That that's that's a that's a gift and it's a gift of love. And it's wonderful to look at him with with the love of the wonderful relationship that you had and to not judge him and not accept judgment from anybody else about him. Because yeah. judgment's never going to help you. I'm a big fan of Byron Katie, and oh yeah, and she's she's incredible. She just believes in loving what is, mm-hmm. and I think that's a gift for all humanity is to find peace in what is. Right? Yes. Would it be accurate to say that in some ways people experience loss and grief uniquely, and that there are also themes that we experience similarly? How have you dealt with that? And what have you seen in others that you worked with over the years? With me, with with losses, I, I had to kind of come to terms with it myself by being exposed to the kinds of deaths that I was exposed to at, at, at a young age and a lot of them, you know. Uh, in in those days, with me being fourteen and being the person in charge in the back of the ambulance, that was there wasn't a whole lot I could do besides watch people die. I, I did know how to do CPR, and I could attempt to stop bleeding. And besides that, I really didn't have a way to care for the people and and help them. So I learned to not judge me that I couldn't prevent them dying or them being in serious physical condition, that I could only do the best that I could do to get them to the help they needed as fast as I could. And so I've kind of looked at things like that the rest of my life that way, that I can do the best that I can do. I approach everything with love. Like Byron Katie says, that's, to me, love is all there is. Actually, they say the only two real emotions are love and fear. If if you can get rid of that fear, and I can honestly say that I got rid of my fear, which uh, at the beginning when I was doing the stuff that I did, there was a lot of fear involved. And I'm not afraid of anything anymore. I'm perfectly comfortable with, with my life. I would be comfortable if I died this afternoon. There's no problem with that. But I approach everybody and everything that I do with love. And I've had people do crazy things like it in the theater business i had the one uh woman that i had hired ended up to be a a serial workers comp abuser and she she would get hired places just so that she could fake an an injury and then take the people for all they she could get from them and of course i didn't know this when i hired her checked out her references as well as I could, but she was intentionally trying to not only do me harm, but do harm to what I loved. I was passionate about that business that I had. Fortunately, it, it worked out well and it, she got caught <laughs> and I ended up not having to to pay anything. I didn't lose anything over it, but that's not always the case. But there are people out there 
lots of people in the world that don't understand the concept of loving each other and don't understand the concept of doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And those in business and in entrepreneurship in particular, that's that's where you can really have have a big problem. I know early in the, the ambulance company, my dad hired this guy that he just was crazy about. He, he taught him everything he knew and did really, really well with that. And the ambulance company is in a very small town in Central California. It's still there. I'm, I own it now. <laughs> but this this guy opened up an ambulance company in the same town. And there there was no way that there was enough business for two people or two two companies. And here my dad had given him so much because my dad was a, an open, honest person. And he I don't think he would say that he was doing things with love. But as I look back on what he was doing, that's that's what he was all about. And to have somebody betray him like that was devastating to him because all he did was help the person, give to the person, provide for the person, and then he did that. So there are people out there that do that, but I really think that dad got through it and made the most of it and the ambulance company still there today because he did treat things with love. It wasn't something that was that you could take into your heart personally. It was knowing that you do the right things for the right reasons. Yeah. Mother Teresa has an incredible poem titled Do It Anyway. I don't know if you've ever I haven't read heard it. that one, but it sounds wonderful. Look, look it up. <laughs> On Google, okay. Mother Teresa, do it anyway. Okay. She basically said one of the lines is, people will abuse and take advantage of you. Love them anyway. Do it anyway. Look up Mother Teresa, do it anyway. You'll. It's, oh, wow. it's a fantastic, fantastic poem. So what are the stages of grief? Okay, that's that's an interesting question because I don't believe that there are stages of grief. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book on named On Death and Dying, I think maybe early 70s when she wrote it. And in that, she talked about the seven stages of dying, not of grief. People hadn't written that much about grief and how to handle it and what to deal with it at that point. So they kind of latched onto these stages. And if you really look at those five stages that she talked about, they don't all apply to grieving. If, if you look up the stages of grief online, which I've done when I was writing my book, I, I wanted to see what everybody else said. And there's, there's everything from three stages, or actually no stages, to three stages, to 11 stages, and they, they, everybody says something different. So it's not really stages. When when you grieve, you go through what you go through. And my grief is going to be different than your grief. And the circumstances of each time you grieve, like when you lost your company, was different than when you lost your dear friend. They're both grief, but you're not going to go through any particular pattern of loss uh, to get over it. I, I don't believe that you get over grief. I, I believe that if you love someone or something, that that love doesn't go away. Love is always going to be there. I'm sure Albert's going to be in your heart for the rest of your life. And that's as it should be. And, and that's, that's fine. But that doesn't mean that everything else stops or goes on hold. And that's why uh, what I, I really promote is grieving and being happy at the same time, finding ways to have joy and happiness in your life in spite of the fact 
that you're suffering loss at the same time. And then moving forward. Joy is a wonderful thing. And I think a lot of people don't associate joy with uh, loss and, and death and and grieving. And we'll get to that in a second. But there are other there are two other words that are associated with loss, and that's blame and regret. Mm-hmm. Are they related? Number one, who do people blame when a loved one passes? And does it matter who you blame as much as the fact that you are blaming? I think the blaming is the issue as opposed to who you blame. I think blaming is a knee-jerk reaction. I know that uh, one of the things that it attributed to Ron's death, my, my last husband who died, was an intolerance for a dialysis solution that they put him on. And we couldn't get anybody to listen to us. You know, we were, we were telling him what the symptoms were and everything, and nobody had listened to us. And it was very frustrating. So it was very easy for me to blame the people who didn't listen and wouldn't make changes that caused him great suffering, actually. I had to sit down with myself and go, okay, this blaming's not helping anybody. What I did do, what he asked me to do, was to make sure that everything was documented and that anybody that had anything to do with it would have this case as an example. So hopefully somebody else wouldn't have to go through the same thing. By, by doing that, I, I took what could have been the negativity of blame into a way to turn it around and make it to hopefully help somebody else in the future. I couldn't change what happened with him. I, I wish I could have, but I, I couldn't change it. I just, we took the best care of each other as we could while we were going through this process. And regret is, I think they're two separate things that you could have at the same time. But regret is more of maybe a self-blame. Again, regret doesn't serve you. If if you could have done better, you would have. And regretting what you didn't do isn't going to bring somebody back. It's not going to change how things turned out. It doesn't help anybody. When you can realize that that's not serving you, that regret's not serving you, and you can release that regret, then you can go on to something more positive. Did you regret or blame yourself during any of the of your husband's passings? I really didn't. I especially with with Ron. Ron and I believed very much in living in the moment, and we went through so many things with both my husbands. I can't tell you how many hospital trips that we had, how many times in the ER, how many times in ICU for both of them. They both died of the same thing. They both had congestive heart failure that led to renal failure. Wow. I just think that's bizarre <laughs> that that yeah. happened. And and both of them, the last two years of their lives, uh, were very intense with, with dealing with, with physical challenges during that time. But when you really focus on the moment, in that moment, everything's good. And you can focus on, on that love. An example was uh, Ron's birthday was about a month before he died. And someone gave him the book about Martin Luther King's last year, and he wanted to read it so bad. He loved to read, and uh, he, he was a brilliant, brilliant man. He, he realized when he tried to read the book that he couldn't really see the words anymore, the, the, what was going on with him, and it affected his vision. And so, I read the book to him. I read the entire book out loud to him sitting outside on our lanai, listening to the birds and, and Maui, and reading the whole book. And it was beautiful. It was, you could say, a tragic time in our life, because we both knew what was happening. But at the same time, each one of those moments, he was getting to, to get that book that he, he wanted to, to know what was in it. 
uh, we were getting to spend all those moments together and enjoy the breeze, enjoy the birds singing in the background. And you can make something, uh, everybody knows that saying about making lemonade out of lemons. You know, you, you can always make something better than it seems like it's going to be if that's what you're focusing on. If you're focusing on this moment is pretty great right now. I'm here, I'm alive, I'm breathing and go from there. I love when, when you speak about the now. I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle and the power of now. Oh, so yeah. I think that's that's definitely one of your superpowers. If you can stay in the now and if if that was your gift from Ron, mm-hmm. then yes. that was amazing. So Wayne Dyer said that if you squeeze an orange, what comes out is orange juice because that's what's inside. Now I was thinking that if you experience loss and a strong emotion comes out, fear, regret, blame, anger, resentment. Isn't that just an indication of what's going on inside of you? Isn't loss then just a mirror that reveals where we are in our development? That's a really wonderful way to put it. It it really is. Because with one of the things that I, I really love to do, and I was I just finished a session right before we came on here, is I do a, a writing through grief group. And we get together on Zoom every week and I give them a topic and we write and then we share what we talked or what we, we came up with when we were writing. And it's amazing how when you start considering something and writing it down, the, the, the process of getting it out written is, is so revealing. Because you can be carrying around a bunch of junk that just uh, Eckhart totally talks about the voice in your head, you know, and I, I just... Yep. Picture this voice bouncing around inside of my head, you know. The monkey mind. Yeah, the monkey mind, absolutely, swinging back and forth all around in there. When when I recognize that it's the monkey mind that's all this negativity and all the blame, shame, game thing that we play, if you can write down the truth with what you're writing, you can look at it and you go, hey, that's that's not what I was thinking it was at all. And you can turn it around. That's one of Byron Katie's things, too, is to turn that around and see what comes out. Yep. It's almost like we have physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. And if we don't focus and pay attention on the physical symptoms, we can get really hurt. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with emotional symptoms. And emotions are just symptoms of what's really going on inside. And if you Absolutely. can't focus on that and really go into the core problem, you're never going to be healed. You're just going to cure the symptoms of your emotions by blaming something else or someone outside of you. So it's pretty much accepted, though, that for the most part, people don't fundamentally change after childhood. Is that true? If the experience of loss is so deep, do we actually change as a person? I'm, I'm not sure it's changing as much as it's learning and growing. Is it just a new world? Yeah. Every moment's a new moment. You know, as, as you go through life, my life is nothing like it was when I was a child. Nothing like it was when I was in my 20s or 30s or any way on the, the way up. I feel like I'm an entirely different person now. I went to a high school reunion a couple of years ago. It was my 50th high school reunion. And the one of the guys there just kept staring at me and he goes, how do you do it? I said, do what? And he goes, you don't seem like you're any older than you were when you were in high school. And we all knew you. You were very active then. You were very positive then. And everything was really good. And look at the rest of us. Half of us have died. And, you know, many of us are falling apart. And there you are. And I said, well, I believe that a whole lot of it is, is uh, what you think. 
it's it's your mind if you have if you can keep a positive attitude a negative attitude can drag drag you right down and it can affect oh, your yeah. health it, it can destroy you but a, a positive attitude that's genuine not something that i've seen people fake it you know try to be putting something on that's positive and and you know that they're they're not but if you if you can genuinely focus on the moment and focus on positivity you can go on for a long time i i don't i with that guy's comment i don't really feel different than i did when i was in high school I, i'm much more mature i have a lot more knowledge a lot more experience but the essence of me is still the essence of me yeah that's why i love wayne dyer's analogy of the orange when it gets squeezed if apple juice comes out when an orange gets squeezed it wasn't really an orange was it yeah right? so elon musk the great elon musk said that losing a business is like losing a loved one and that's Absolutely how I felt when my own business failed. What thoughts can you share about that? Well, I, I certainly know about losing a business, although what I did was give my business as a gift and it, it continued on. My image of it, my participation in it was a loss for me that, that was it was sad and and i i did grieve it i kept trying to consider ways that i could go back and i thought no it doesn't belong to me anymore i when um, i i took a, a quilting class after ron died with trying to or after jacques died trying to do something with my time and i heard these two women in the class talking one night and one of them was talking about this absolutely gorgeous quilt that she made and how many hours it took and how much money she spent on the materials and how fabulous the quilt was and she made it as a, this special gift to her son and she was so thrilled to give it to him and he seemed like he appreciated it and he was he was married and he had children and she went to some big gathering at the park where the, all the families were coming together to barbecue. And here was her beautiful quilt on the, on the ground with the kids jumping on it and running through it and everything. And she was furious, just furious. And the woman that she was talking to looked at her and she goes, you need to look up in the dictionary the definition of gift. You know, <laughs> that once, once you give something away, it's not yours anymore. When when you realize that, then then it it's freeing actually because I I can look back I still get uh, stories from some of the the kids that were in the the youth program at the theater. Well, they'll find me on Facebook and tell me how how what a big impact their activity at the theater had on their lives. That's what I hold on to the fantastic things that we did with that theater. I can hold on to those and and enjoy those memories a lot. And I don't have to think about the woman that tried to <laughs> get all the money from me because that wasn't what was important. That wasn't significant. What was significant was all the joy and the love and the experience uh, that people had uh, affiliated with it. You know, it's really funny when when the writing was on the wall on my own business. I discovered that uh, when my business was great, I was great. And when it started to die, I realized that a lot of other things in my life were dying alongside with it. You know, it's mm -hmm. like when we experience a major loss, why does it affect other areas of our lives? Why do you think? It's, it's all one. Our life is all, all one thing where we are not compartmentalized. So if you're suffering in one, in one way, like if I break my leg, my whole body's going to suffer. It's not just where the break is in the bone. 
your whole body naturally suffers from it. Your whole body is going to feel pain. You're not, the pain isn't specifically in that leg. You're going to feel it all over. If you look at things and as a whole, that you, you were, your business was part of you and you were part of your business. So there was part of you that was in the process of dying like your business did. When you can recognize that and go, wait a minute, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. It's still beautiful to take a walk on the beach. And when you can start focusing on that, then you can start kind of separating yourself from the negativity and focus on what's good that came out of it. It's an experience that that you won't do things the same way again. You learn from it. Whatever it was, you learn from it. And that will be better for you and anybody else you can help in the future. Absolutely. You know what? A question that I have pondered over time, and this is a little spiritual, so is there such a thing as loss or is it just transitions in our interpretation of the loss? I think on the second count is is more like it. You know, there is loss in that now you have a beautiful crystal goblet and you drop it on the floor and it shatters. It's lost. It's gone. So there is such a thing as loss, but that didn't mean it didn't exist and was beautiful when it was there. And it was no judgment of the goblet for breaking. Judgment has a lot to do with this. If you If you can... Forgive yourself for whatever happened in the business. If you cannot judge yourself for whatever happened in the business, then then you can move forward. As, as long as you're going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And if only I would have done this. Or, gee, I'm such a terrible person to have allowed this to happen. And I hear people say things like that. When you can get out of that mindset, then you don't have to focus on the loss anymore. But it's it's everything's kind of intertwined, and I think in answer to your question, there are kinds of loss that are actual loss. Uh, for instance, Jacques and Ron are no longer here with me, and that's that's a loss. But in a way, they'll always be with me for the rest of my life. I can I can think about what might happen afterwards. I don't know, but I they're 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 here with me. So it's not really a loss loss. I experienced my my biggest loss was my grandma who raised me. She died at 83. Mm. And I remember I was in the U.S. for many, many years and she was in Israel. We had a relationship, but it was phone and we didn't really visit each other much, but she always had the greatest piece of my heart. So when she passed away, I flew to Israel. In Israel, what they do is they put the body in a black bag, zippered black bag, and family members enter a room and they have to identify her. So what happened was I, they unzipped the bag and I'm looking at her and it's grandma, but it's not grandma. And it's interesting because back then I was doing Reiki and I had the symbols and I was like, you know what? I need to connect with her one more time. So I did some symbols on her forehead and a jolt of knowledge just popped into my head. It was the weirdest thing. I can't explain it. I'm not going to try to explain it, but it was real. It was almost like in a whole encyclopedia just popped into my head. But the one thing that I clearly heard from her, because she was one that had fear, that worried all her life, that wanted the best for others, and that took a toll on her. But the message was, I didn't have to go through this pain. It doesn't Mm. really matter. And that's an interesting message as her last parting gift to me. Changed my life. How wonderful. Have you heard that before? I've been not that in particular, but the, the, 
there is communication that goes on and it uh, there's a, a fine line between life and death that there's a medical definition of it but that's not always the way it turns out i think spiritually i can think of an example once of when i was i also was a nurse was another one of my careers that i had and i was working in the emergency room and this man had come in he had a farm big guy probably 64 broad shoulders big hands had worked all of his life on on the farm and he came in with a, a heart issue and we lived in a very small town so if we had somebody with a bad heart thing we immediately sent them by ambulance an hour away to the place that could take care of them and so we sent him out and pretty soon they brought him right back they didn't get that far down the road before he arrested again and they they brought him in they were doing cpr and everybody was you know they were trying to do what they could to save him and this man flatline on on the monitor if they take their hands off of his chest it was a flatline and they kept pumping thinking that they were going to get him back and he took his arm and knocked their hands off of his chest wow and Everybody in the room, it was just dead silent. Everybody kind of gasped and looked at each other like, did that, could it possibly have happened? But it, it was all the proof I needed that there's a fine line in between. He knew it was his time and he wanted to get on with it, you know, just leave me alone. There's probably a reason why we feel a certain death within us when we lose mm-hmm. something or someone, because we are, we're all one in mm-hmm. a sense. And that communication is coming from the same place. That's right. So it's interesting. I absolutely believe that, that we're, it's, everything is all intertwined. It's all, it's all energy and we're, we're all intertwined with that energy. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned that your mom never found joy after your father's passing. You said that she never smiled again. That's so sad, but knowing what you have learned over the years, how would you have counseled your mom or would you even do so? Does it sometimes make sense to allow people to have their own experiences the way they need to have it rather than our ideas for them? That's, you brought up a whole bunch there. <laughs> that's, that's really important. I wish I would have known then what I know now uh, about life and, and what's going on. At the time, I was juggling so much stuff in the air and, and dealing with her at the same time that I just, I didn't feel like I was doing enough good for anybody, my mom and me included. I think I really did the very best that I could at the time with the knowledge that I had at the time. And when I look at it that way, then I don't have to blame myself. I don't have to feel guilty for anything. And I really did try to do the very best that I could for her. Interestingly, she she did actually smile a little toward the end of her life. She was diagnosed with a, a brain tumor. The doctor, we were we had been waiting for a week for the results of these tests that she had. And I finally called the doctor and the nurse said, well, he's out in the parking lot. He's on his way out on his vacation. He's going on a cruise. And I said, then you go out and get him right now and have him come back in here. He's not leaving without giving me the results of those tests. He did come back in and he said, and he was a friend of my mom's, you know, with them having the ambulance company in a small town, all the medical people were, knew each other well. And I think he just couldn't tell her what the results were, that, that she was, that she had an inoperable brain tumor. And so he, he told me and he said, um, and we can talk about it when I get back and hung up. <laughs> 
And I'm like, now my mom was sitting there. She knew that I was talking to him. She knew that he gave me news and she wanted to know what it was. And I have always told the truth in situations like that. And I I did, I told her and she cried and we held each other and cried together. And then after that, she kind of smiled. And I knew right then that she knew she was going to go be with daddy. And that's all she wanted. And that's what she'd been waiting for. That's why she was sad because she wasn't with him anymore. And after that, she she did lighten up some. And my husband, Jacques, was a, a funny guy. And he, he could make her crack up. He couldn't do it before she got diagnosed. And she knew she was going to die from this. But once that happened, he was so thrilled that he could make her laugh again because he used to make her laugh all the time. And, and that came back. When, when she realized that she wasn't going to have to stay alive forever waiting to die. So do you think that, the, and part of the question was, should we just allow people to have their own experience instead of wanting them to get better, for instance, just because we think that that's where they need to be? That's, yes. People need to live their own lives the way they intend to live them. It's, I used to get so angry again when I was working as a nurse. We had, uh, in the hospital where I was working, we had one doctor who didn't want anybody to die. Didn't matter. She, she would do anything that she could to prevent them from dying. And one of the things she would do is put in feeding tubes when they no longer could swallow or eat. And if they didn't have a durable power of attorney set up for them ahead of time saying that they didn't want that, then she would do it whether they wanted it or not. I talk to the families and say, you've got to make this decision here. And, you know, we've got to tell the doctor and so that we can follow the, the wish your family member has, even though they didn't write it down. If they told you what they wanted, then it's up to us to honor that, that wish. And so the doctor would go in and say, you know what happens if you don't put a feeding tube in? And she would describe in grisly detail what the body does as it starves itself to death. And I always said, you can't do that. It's not your body. It's not your life. If And, and I've been just on such a big campaign for everybody to, to have a durable power of attorney for health care so that they can say exactly what they want. And if they say what they want, you can't judge them because it's their decision. So that's, that's one of the best gifts that you can give to your loved ones is to execute your own durable power of attorney for health care. I'm sure there are some listening that are going to take your advice and they're going to thank you so. for the rest of their life. <laughs> I hope so. So in general, with all your expertise and everything that you went through, what's your process for helping us find joy again once we experience loss? My process for helping find joy is to want to. That And that sounds kind of simplistic, but un- until you decide that you can be happy, you're not going to be if, if you're really in a bad place. But if you want to, then you can start finding ways to be happy. There's lots of different things. One of the things, I'm a, a certified happy for no reason trainer based on Mar- Marcy Shymoff's work. She does an institute where she trains people because she wanted, she was trying to train everybody in the world all by herself. So she decided to make it so that everybody else could learn what she used about happiness to help other people. And I said, that it's perfect. It goes hand in hand with what I'm doing with the grief work. And she teaches all these, what she calls happiness practices so that you can do things to, to start feeling better. If you start focusing on things that, that will help you be happy, 
one of my things that my aunt was in a in a bad car accident with her husband. Her 16-year-old grandson was driving them and her husband was killed and she was uh, almost killed. And it was a very sad situation. And she was in, in bed for a long time. She had a hospital bed in, in her living room and she had, it was back when they had the DVD things that you, you play instead of being able to just put something on TV. And I went to see her one day and she had the the recording of um, Patch Adams. I don't know if you know that movie. It was a Robin Williams movie. Mm, I know the movie. movie. I love the movie. It's, it's a great movie. Yes. And I, I said, oh, that's a great movie. And she goes, you know, I watch it every day. <laughs> and I said, every day, wow. you know, my heart by now. And she goes, no, but it makes me smile and laugh every time I watch it. I feel good when I watch it. And here she was in this situation that could be tragic. You know, she could have been like my mom and just shut down. But she didn't. It was my mom's sister. She, she chose to find things that made her happy so that uh, she could feel better about life and about the world. Other things that you talk about is writing and gratitude. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, gratitude's a big one for me. I had, after Jacques died, I was I was just sitting by myself mostly. They did hire me to go teach at the university and I would go and teach and I'd be great with my students and I'd come home and sit. Didn't watch much on TV, didn't feel like reading, didn't eat much. I just wasn't doing much of anything. Two of my friends, two different friends, independent from each other, suggested that I watch the movie The Secret. And I said, oh, that's that magical thinking stuff. I'm not going <laughs> to, that's not going to help me. But they, they both said, I really needed to watch it. One of them gave me his, his um, DVD. And so I watched it and I thought, well, I don't know whether this is true or not. But in the, the jewel case for the DVD, there was a, a thing that said, don't turn this over until the movie's over. And I didn't notice it, fortunately, until the movie was over, because I would have turned it over earlier. <laughs> but I didn't. All it had on the other side was write down 10 things that you're grateful for. And I said, grateful. <laughs> my husband died. I'm living by myself. I'm sad. What do I have to be grateful for? But then I thought, you know, two of my friends both told me that I needed this. So it's not going to hurt me to try. So I thought there, there were like 10 lines on the sheet. Well, I wrote down 10 things pretty easily. And I was, I was frankly shocked because I was so in this pity party that I've been having for a while that I didn't think there was anything in my life I was grateful for. But I got, I got started doing it and I kept doing it more and more and more. I, yeah, I think of something and I, I'd have to write it down. If I was in the line at the bank, I'd be digging a receipt out of my purse so I could write it down so I didn't forget it. And finally, I got a little little notebook that I could keep in my purse for those times and had a bigger one at home that I could write things in. And I still, to this day, write things that I'm grateful for every single day. And it turned me around because I realized that all I had been focusing on was what was wrong and negative. And once I started seeing, I have a whole lot of things to be happy about, a whole lot of things to be grateful for. And it really changed my life. I agree. Gratitude journaling is incredible. Uh, another tip is that I've heard and I'm practicing. Every time I leave the bathroom, I look in the mirror and I high five the reflection. And I say, you can do it. You got this. Oh, that's cool. It's a, it's a fantastic form of gratitude. It is. So, uh, so the dreaded question, and I know that this is the most awkward part of loss, especially human loss. What do you say 
And what do you not say to someone? Because I know the first inclination is, I'm so sorry for your loss. Please don't say that. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I got to the point where if one more person said that to me, I was going to just scream, you know, because I thought, don't say that. Because I felt like they were saying, uh, have a nice day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It was the same sort of a thing yeah. that you feel obligated to say something. So you say that because you heard other people say it. And then you go right, right on to the next sentence. How about them Dodgers? You know, <laughs> and it, it's, yeah. it, that's almost heartbreaking to somebody who's, who's dealing with loss to trivialize it in that way. What I believe to say to people who've dealt with loss human loss is to mention the person that's that's gone if you say something to him like oh i just loved watching you two hold hands whenever i saw you walking together that was always so cool that'll make him smile and it's somebody told me that uh how how much they loved jacques singing voice because he had a beautiful voice and she said she would go any place she knew he was performing so that she could hear his voice. Well, hearing something beautiful and positive like that about him, that helped me. That sort of thing would help me when people would say that sort of thing. Don't say things like, oh, well, you can get married again, or, oh, you can have another baby, or, you know, uh, they wouldn't have wanted you to be sad. You know, don't, don't say things like that. Choose something positive to say, in the, and if you can say it in a way that it's a memory, a positive memory of the person who died, then I think that's the best thing that you can say to someone. And authentically, right? I mean, a lot of times, oh, yeah. one of my pet peeves, yeah, getting those Christmas cards, nothing on the Christmas cards, not even a hello. Yeah. Like, why bother? Why bother? Why send me a card or why walk up to me and say, hey, how are you? And then walk right away without me even answering. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. It's not authentic. So some people close themselves off to love, and this is going to be close to your heart. So some people close themselves off to love and closeness in response to the pain of loss, because they're just like, I can't take any more loss, especially if it's uh, if it happened multiple times in their lives. Mm -hmm. How do we open up once we experience a loss? The first thing to do is to love yourself. Oh, I love that. Yeah, if, if you can be taking really good care of yourself and, and show yourself that self-love, demonstrate that, then that, that can help. I think, I think that's just vitally important. So many people, when, when they're dealing with the loss, will either, they'll either eat everything in sight and gain a lot of weight and be very upset with themselves because they did that, or they'll stop eating and lose a lot of weight and get really unhealthy and not have any energy to do anything. All those things are self-destructive, and it's, it's really common for people in, who are grieving to find self-destructive things to do. So it's very, very important to recognize if you start to go down that path and say, wait, that's not serving me. I need to serve myself because I'm basically all I have. You know, there's the rest of the world out there around me, but I'm the only one that's feeding me, that's going to bed and getting adequate sleep sleep at night that's going for a walk i'm i'm the one responsible for that and if if i can show me my self love by taking good care of myself then you can gradually move forward to whatever else you need to deal with that's lovely it's almost like we self sabotage because we think that we're not worthy without the person or without the entity that we just lost because we so self identify with it it's right. It's crazy. It's very common. 
Absolutely. So we're in the final moments of our time together. I'm so enjoying this. But who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become in order to do your work today? I needed to stop being little me, the uh, sad person who everything bad happened to her and she was going to go out and eat worms and die. I used to say that when I was a kid. <laughs> that uh, I, I didn't have great self-esteem. I'm six feet tall and I grew to six feet when I was in seventh grade. And I was taller than anybody on the campus. And I weighed 115 pounds. So you can imagine what I look like. <laughs> and all I wanted to do was make me small. I wanted to just shrink down and get little so people wouldn't make fun of me and say something to me. And once I finally embraced who I was, the gifts and talents that I do have, and I started practicing my gifts and talents, I started sharing them whether it was me acting in a play or maybe being a nurse or me teaching somebody writing uh, or comforting them when they're grieving, whatever it is that I do, I'm not doing that for me, but I get the end result of, of it because all, all the love that you send out comes back to you. I know that sounds trite, but it's absolutely true. Yeah. So let's tell all the seven hatters the latest that you've been up to and how they can connect with you, how they can purchase your book, the um, big latest thing that I'm up to is the Grief and Happiness Alliance, which is a membership program that people who are grieving and really want to be happy can join and, and come to on a regular basis online, get to know other people that are in the same boat that they are, and find different ways to, to be happy and grieve at the same time. And I'm really excited about that. If anybody wants to know, just contact me. And you can contact me. My website is the name of my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through grief.com and that's my email also emily at loving and letting your way through grief.com i've got a regular weekly blog on there uh, you can sign up for my newsletter that i send out uh, i have facebook groups i'm on instagram youtube every place i'm all over the place so if you want to contact me i'm here emily it was such a pleasure i so thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and thank you for being vulnerable and thank you for Having the experiences that you had and all your loss is helping others who are going through it right now. I appreciate you being on The Seven Hats. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emily. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as, What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here's my takeaway. We've all experienced the death of someone or something we loved and cherished. It's part of life, the other side of the coin. For me, the death of my grandma and dear friend Albert, as well as the death of my first company, were significant moments in my life that shook me to my core. Over time, I found it hard to handle the emotional overload, and I simply began to shut down. I feared loving again, trying again, putting myself out there again, so I wouldn't get hurt again. Emily spoke of her dad's devastation when his most cherished and trusted employee betrayed him. It was a crushing blow. You see, people will die, they'll betray you. Your most loved possessions might be taken away from you at some point. That's the journey we signed up for when we landed on this planet. But that doesn't mean that we need to shut down and not try again. You see, no one says it better than Mother Teresa in her poem, Do It Anyway, and it goes like this. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. 
If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, you see, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. I just love that poem, and I practiced it in my life. Getting over loss, hurt, and grief doesn't mean forgetting about the person or entity that has died. It's about finding ways to remember and honor the memories. Emily said it best, Welcome to the journey of discovering how you can deal with loss and experience happiness at the same time. And follow Mother Teresa's message, Go out and live life to the fullest. Do it anyway. I want to thank Emily once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from her wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.